Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast. How they can interfere or disrupt the practice to make it look as contextually close to the game as they can. Rugby Coach Weekly presents The Coaching Knife, where we cut to the root, cut out the fluff and challenge the masters of their domain to cut to the chase. In this episode, we speak to James Barkle, lecturer at the University of Sydney and coaching consultant with The Coach Doctor. Focusing on how you can improve the design of your practices, we are going to cut to the root on how you can use contextual interference. James, are you ready for the knife? I am, mate. I've got the bandages ready, so yeah, start cutting away. (laughs) Let's get going. What do you mean by contextual interference? Well, I I think when we talk about contextual interference, we're sort of looking at a way that we can schedule a practice session into uh, various aspects. And the most common terms that we use when we're looking at contextual interference is, is we have blocked practice, serial practice, and random practice. And I guess contextually, we want our practice to look as close to the game as we can. So it goes goes back to the coach thinking about how they can interfere or disrupt the practice to make it look uh, as contextually close to the game as they can. And, and we can do this through a few different ways. And as I said, random practice tends to be the the one that creates the most contextual interference and a game like rugby which is so variable right okay so uh we got we jumped to random but let's just go back to what's blocked and does it uh what's block practice and in making it look like the game is it useful so yeah blocked practice is basically focusing on a repeated skill uh and just doing it over and over again. And we, we see skill or drills like passing lanes in rugby. Uh, I, I'm sure you've used it in the UK as well. The old netball crisscross passing drills where mm. you just focus on, you know, a pop pass in the middle. Um, those sorts of things are, are good examples of blocked practice. Now, traditionally blocked practice at that elite level is something we don't want to do a lot of. However, there is still a place for it. If, if let's say we're playing a game like a ruck touch or something like that, where there's uh, a, a focus on passing, but as the coach, I'm standing back and I'm saying our pass execution is really poor or uh, our, our receiving is really poor. Perhaps in that situation, I can pull up the session and say, right, we're going to go into a block practice at the moment and we're going to look at specifically where our fingers point when we release the ball or something along those lines. And for two or three minutes, we can go into a blocked practice with a really specific goal or really specific outcome of focusing so you, on you, that one thing. Okay, so you'd use block practice um, in as a well like like a doctor sort of seeing that something's gone wrong i need to sort out you wouldn't use it you wouldn't plan it into your session we're going to start uh, we're going to have a bit of block practice here we're going to have a bit of random practice here that's uh, it is it is based on what you see potentially look i think you can also have some block practice scheduled into your training session and i think if we look at youth training as well 
as we go towards beginners, we tend to see a lot more block practice, which is which is fine because we're developing that basic skill before we can start to put it into a game format or a, a more randomized format. Um, as a coach, I think when we're when we are focusing or we've scheduled a random session into our training program, we might think, all right, the focus of this is going to be again, I'll use passing as an example. The focus is going to be passing. I'm going to assume that at some stage there is an aspect of our passing which might need some improvement. So thinking about that in advance, what are one or two, I guess, blocked practice techniques that I could use or uh, put into my training session that might enhance uh, that passing technique or might just, I guess, build on the issues that might come up. Now, as the coach, if I'm saying there's no issues and the passing is is perfect over and over again. And uh, then in that situation, I might ignore it and, and not go through that block practice um, aspect. So is it, does that, does that make sense? Yeah. No. So in your, in your training session, almost you've got to have um, a menu of what you're going to do, uh, which includes things that you might strike off the menu as you go along, if that's okay, but you've, you're prepared for it as you, as you come in. So you're saying do a block practice for only a short space of time. I mean, it, I'm I'm not going to put, put an exact time on it, but I feel if a block practice goes on for too long, what do you understand by too long for a block practice? Where where, where do we judge that to be? Oh, look, I'd say you know for that for that higher level of athlete, I'd say three to four minutes max for a block practice session. Uh, I think if you start to you know do passing lanes for five five minutes or more, the players can get very very bored of it. Um, unless there's variations to it that you're providing as you're going along. And and if we start to add variations to it, it's going to, that might take away from the core reason of why we're doing it to, to focus on a certain aspect of the skill. Right. So we've got block practice. What comes next? So the next one, I, I refer to it, and it's often referred to as serial practice. And this is when we start to use a series of skills in a regular order. So um, let's say that we've got a, a we've developed a drill, or we've developed a um, yeah, I'll think of a drill where you might have a pass, then you might have a I don't know a kick or something added into. It. Or a you might again we'll go back to the passing lanes. You might have pass pass switch and then pass. So all of a sudden you've added a switch into your your passing grid, but you're still doing that in order. So you might go pass pass and then there's going to be a switch and then it gets to the next line and then they go through pass pass switch. So we're we're adding a very a, a variation to the type of pass. Or um, you know again if we go to that crisscross passing drill that we often see when young teams are warming up. Uh, we might start off with pop passing in the middle, then we do the low ones, then we do the high ones, then we do the, the grubber kicks or the rolls on the ground or whatever, and it goes in a certain order, um, but we're not mixing them up. So there is a there is a change, there is a a some variety to the skill or the development of the skill, but it's going in a specific order. It's not just randomised. So what's the advantage of that then? I guess the, the advantage of that is you're practicing more variations of a certain skill. So again, if we use passing in that scenario, we've got, we're practicing a range of different passes. Uh, the, the, the focus will, but all the, the, the issue I see for a lot of serial practices, and you probably see the same, 
when we do certain uh, certain, I guess, decision making practices, you often find certain players want to do be in a certain position where they get to practice that certain type of pass. So you might have a lot of the tens; they want to be the ball player, so they end up getting, you know, they'll always go into the line where they're going to be receiving the ball and making the decision on, on the pass or they're running the switch or whatever it might be. So we tend to see that, or I tend to see an issue with this is players might start to pick and choose which aspect of the skill that they want to perform. Or the other aspect is, you know, if, if you're running it through a series of different variations, uh, again, boredom of, you know, doing something that is quite simple. You can't do it for too long. It needs to be very, very fast and get through it and be succinct. So with a serial one, can you do something which is completely separate? So you might do a uh, pass, pass, tackle, ruck. Yeah, you could, you could do, I guess, anything like that. And I guess it depends on how it's, how it's performed. If it's performed so that it's constantly in the, in that, or that same order, it starts to fit in that, I guess, that defin- definition of serial. Now, it seems to me that there's a lot of danger in there because you're not you're taking away lots of decisions because I know it's going to be a pass, I know it's going to be a pass, it's going to be a tackle. So uh, why would a coach use it? Look, again, I think it looks neat. It looks tidy. Um, it adds some variation of different skills or aspects of the game. But like you said, there's generally no decision-making involved in in serial practice, you, you can add some decision making into all forms of these practices, but which I'll talk about in a moment. But at the same time, if we're performing a set of skills in order, like you said, that doesn't happen in a game. In a game, you might have pass, kick, tackle. You know, it's it's all over the place. So that's where I find that random practice for for a game like rugby, especially, is really really important. Okay, so what does random practice look like then? So that's where we're just utilizing a variety of skills in no specific order. So the problem with random practice and the problem for coaches is it can look really messy. We tend to see more mistakes. Uh, There's, I guess, the athletes need to think a lot more. Uh, They they don't have an order set out for them. So if something changes, they need to cognitively um, associate the next task with the performance outcomes that are involved in that next task. And that's where random practice is in terms of uh, learning and development a lot stronger because it constantly requires the athlete to uh, refocus on a task that they might have been performing previously, but then straight away they have to then focus on a new task and it constantly changes. So what it's doing, it's engaging our brain a lot more and forcing us to rethink about what what's coming up. Whereas if we start to do a lot of block practice or serial practice, it almost becomes second nature and we stop thinking about, you know, the technique, how we perform it. Um, and, and that random practice is really good in terms of uh, taking us out of our comfort zone and forcing us to rethink something over and over again. Can you do random practice without ever done doing a skill beforehand? Or do you need to have done some form of either blocked or serial practice in order to perform some of these skills in a random practice? Look, I think, I think if you, for, for a beginner, oh, let's go like right back to under sixes or under sevens, 
I think in that scenario, there needs to be some block practice uh, or some serial practice initially. Uh, and in saying that, I think you can still go into randomized practice through, you can do closed drills. So again, looking at really young age groups, instead of just doing lots of one-on-one passing, you can start to add pass, you know, kicks, you know, different types of passes um, into, into a practice. And that randomizes a drill-based practice for, for youngest, younger kids. For an elite athlete who, or maybe not an elite athlete, let's say you're a new, a new player to the game, you've played basketball, for example, and you've looked at rugby and you thought, you know, I'd love to give rugby a try. You could go straight into some random randomized practice. You might not be proficient on a lot of the skills, but you should have a basic understanding. The reason you're playing rugby or the reason you're playing that different sport is because you've got an interest in it. So there should be some understanding of it. So when you get put into the environment, you're practicing a whole heap of skills in random order. You're starting to develop your own techniques. There's probably going to be coaching feedback. So this you're still going to be developing, but there's probably is still going to be time for that block practice for those for those beginners. So in a in a random practice, this is not just uh, we're just going to play a well, when I say not just play a game. Here is a game we're going to play. This is uh, we're going to do skill A B C D. Let us say, but it could go A B C D D C B A, and just uh, the next one. So it'll be lots and lots of like a mini drills or mini exercises or mini activities. This is what it looks like. Yeah, exactly. So you you might have a variety of mini drills or mini activities. Um, most commonly random practice can fit into that game approach or that games model mm. where if we look at the other side of things, we look at variability of practice and we have a constant practice versus really very variable practice. And this is where variability is more like the game where we have, um, anything could happen at any stage. And that, that correlates well with random practice, whereas constant is more like blocked and, a really good example for our listeners, if they if they want to look it up, uh, Mark Williams and Nicky Hodges wrote a paper on soccer training uh, back in 2005, and they basically broke it up into four quadrants with random down to blocked going north-south and then constant to variable going east-west. And if we look at the top quadrant of you know random and variable, we're looking predominantly at um, playing games, small-sided games or games where there's a lot of variability, a lot of decision-making. The skills that we're practicing within the games can happen at any stage. Um, if we then go across, we still want to keep it random, but now we're looking at more constant practice. We're starting to look at a series of drills that might utilize, you know, like you said, A, B, C first, and then it might be A, D, B, C. So it's, it starts to really become randomized. Mm. Um, and then the other, the other, you know, if you go down now, we're starting to look more towards beginners. We start to look at that bottom left-hand quadrant where it's constant and blocked. And it's, you know, I'll just stand there for as a basketball coach and stand there and practice chess passing back and forward. You know, your coach might say, we're going to do a hundred and we might have a race to a hundred or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, that race to a hundred might add a bit of variability because sometimes the the kids are then going to start making mistakes or they're going to be rushing. So their techniques might not be great. So that adds a little bit of variability, but it's still very, very blocked and very focused on one specific skill. 
Okay, so where does contextual interference come in here? So I, my understanding is interference is you mucking them around and contextual is it looks like the game. Is that roughly what it is? Yeah, I guess it's the coach interfering with the practice yeah. to make it look more contextually like the game. Right. Now, the, the, the if we're looking specifically at rugby, we look, I'm going to go to a lot of, a lot of coaches will tend to do uh, their units training in a very blocked format. Mm. So as, as a group of players, all right, we've now got forwards are going off with the forwards coach, the backs are going off with the backs coach. The forwards you will tend to see will often go into a block practice mode. We might go, let's say we're going to be doing scrummaging. They might do some one-on-one scrummaging. So they'll spend, you know, a couple of minutes doing some one-on-one, some two-on-twos or building it up. And, you know, they'll build it up to, you know, either eight-on-eight or eight-on versus a scrum machine. And for that 20-minute practice period, it's just going to be scrums only. Now, in a, in, you know, there's, there's variation because there's, we're going through a series of blocked practices. So from one-on-ones through to the full scrum. Um, but in that period or in that 20 minutes of a game, we, we won't see 20 minutes of scrums going consistently. Mm. So I, I understand. And, and the, the, the nature of rugby with the contact and the scrums and the, the safety aspect, then that, that does need to occur. But I feel like when players are proficient, they still need to be practicing something like scrums in a randomized fashion. And a good way of maybe doing this is uh, after you've got through your first first couple of weeks or blocks where you've worked on safety, you've worked on binding, you've worked on body position and all that sort of stuff for your, for your, for your scrums. And you're starting to become quite proficient. You can then start mixing up your scrums with your lineouts with some, you know, some pick and drive on, you know, goal line attack or goal line defense. And all of a sudden you're going from, you know, you might pack a one live scrum or, or if you don't have two, two uh, eights, you might have a scrum machine. Then you might go into four V four pick and drive type uh, attack and defense on the, on the goal, on the goal line. Uh, then you might go to, all right, now we're going to have a, have a line out. Um, then you might go back to your, your or you, then you might go from a line out mall Depending, depending on what happens with the line-out mall, you might then go into your pick and drive again. Then as the coach, you might say, oh, the mall stopped, so now we're going we're gonna, to uh, have a scrum or another live scrum. It's a five-meter scrum now, so what's our focus on here? So we're constantly changing the, the practice session to look more like a game. Now, you're still going to, in that, in that period of 20, 50, 30 minutes or whatever it might be, you're still going to get a lot more scrum practice, a lot more lineup practice, and a lot more forward-focused practice going on, but it's really randomised, and it's not a, uh, it's not. It, it means that the players, after they perform the line out, they've got to focus on. All right, what's my role? The call is whatever it might be. What's my role here? I've got to really focus on my role in this. Get through my lift. Get through my jump. Get through my throw. All right, now we're into our mall. Okay. Mall's been stopped. Now what's our next focus? Is it going to be, you know, are we going to roll off the back of the mall and go into a, a pick and drive or is it scrum, whatever it might be? Yep. 
So just to just to round up then, that um, would you have every single practice would have this, or would it be maybe one week you would have a little bit, little bit more of slightly slower? We'll concentrate on the uh, the individual parts, and then another week you would say, right, we're going to do, run a practice for half an hour, and in here we're going to break and do a scrum here. We'll do a line out here. We'll do a backs play from here. We'll do um, a, a counter attack play from here. Yeah, look, I think I think the preseason is a really good time to do a lot of block stuff. So, lineouts, for example, get through your lineout calls, make sure that everybody's understands their roles and responsibilities in the lineout or the you know the scrum, whatever it might be. Um, Backline, same thing. Have, have everybody understand their roles and their running lines in in attacking plays. Let's let's on our third phase or fourth phase, utilize a attacking kick or a, you know, whatever we might want to do. Um, if there's a drop ball before that we get to that third phase, too bad. Other team gets the ball scrum there or whatever, whatever it might be. Okay. So it looks like the game practice looks like a game and that's how we're interfering and make it into a context. Right. So James runs the coach doctor podcast. He's a level four high performance coach in rugby union and has a PhD, which focused on high performance in rugby. That's why he's a doctor. Uh, his philosophy is to encourage creativity in coaching. No one way is correct. And you need to modify what and how you teach content depending on age, ability, etc. Using questions is great but it's how you use them effectively that matters. Likewise, games over drills, as we've just been talking about, but there is still a place for drills. You can contact him at LinkedIn at James Barkle, PhD, uh, Instagram at the coach doctor, and that's doctor spelt DR and visit him at thecoachdoctor.com.au and the coach doctor podcast site as well. So we're going to finish with a few questions. Uh, James, how old are you? I'm 44 at the moment. <laughs> 44 at the moment. Yes. That suggests that we're not, it's not your birthday tomorrow, is it? No, if, uh, not until next year. So All right, I still okay. got a little while right, left. Okay. <laughs> uh, what coaching book is by your bedside? Look, I'm currently reading Dave Goggins' Can't Hurt Me. It's not specifically about coaching, but it's about using setbacks to create opportunities. Uh, so I guess it's very relatable to the psychology of sport where there's where setbacks are common losses are common injuries and those sorts of things are common right and which coach teacher are you loving at the moment yeah this is a really tough one because i guess there's so many coaches and uh, i guess academics as well that i follow and i i love hearing their thoughts but i guess one person i'm intrigued by at the moment is scott robertson the crusaders coach yeah. who's just had a stint with the barbarians and I believe might be in line for the England job. I'm not sure if, if that's go, going that way or not. <laughs> well, but... when this podcast comes out, we might know a bit more, but he is, uh, he is certainly uh, hotly tipped or um, he's very well thought of. Uh, which team sports subject would you love to coach at the moment? Uh, Dan, it's, it's World Cup fever at the moment in, in football. So I'd love to coach football, uh, even though I've got two left feet uh, <laughs> and I can't play to save my life. I reckon... The fluidity of the game and the spatial awareness is something that I'd, I'd love to be involved in coaching. Yeah, I th I think so as well. Watching watching the World Cup, uh, who's inspired you the most? Uh probably probably my dad. Uh, he's always been a massive supporter. Uh, he's tra he travelled over to Europe when I was playing to to watch me play, and I, I literally got injured in the first minute or so of the game. I I felt so bad. I was so upset that he come all this way to watch me play, and he was like, "Don't worry about it. I've I haven't seen you for." over a year let's just catch up and, and you know and it you know reconnect as as family brilliant and uh 
what would you tell your 20-year-old self to do more of? Uh, probably learn, listen, and uh, potentially spend less time enjoying social opportunities. Uh, <laughs> I, probably, I probably only matured in my 30s. So, yeah, probably. <laughs> okay, brilliant. <laughs> James, thanks very much. Thanks very much for being on The Coaching Knife. Bye-bye. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. <laughs>